So good morning. My name is Tom Werner. I'm one of the elders here at Green Tree, and I would like to add my welcome to those you've already received. I'm happy to be here with you this morning. Um, this week, we're going to continue a series that we started several weeks ago on Hebrews 11. It's a chapter that's sometimes referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. Anton opened this up. He talked about a faith that God created the world. And last week, Nathan continued talking about the faith of Abel. This morning, we're going to talk about the faith of a man named Enoch. We learn all there is to know about Enoch in a total of just eight verses in the Bible, a few in Hebrews, a few in Genesis, in the third chapter of Luke, and in Jude. And as we will see, his story is simple enough to be understood by the youngest child, but it's also deep enough to answer one of the most difficult questions that we can ask, how can I live a satisfying life? As we talk about Enoch this morning, we're going to make a couple stops, one to the third metric conference, and of course, we'll talk about Nicholas Copernicus. So let's look together at Hebrews 11. By faith, we read, Enoch was taken up so that he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we look to your word to guide and direct us. There is wisdom here, and we pray, Lord, for minds and hearts that would be open to hear you speak to us. We pray in your name. Amen. So, a few weeks ago, I opened up my trusty New York Times to the business section, and I saw a photograph there of two well-known, influential women beneath the headline, a budding movement to redefine the successful life. The two women are Ariana Huffington and Mika Brzezinski. You may know these women. Brzezinski is the co-host of a morning news program, and Ariana Huffington is the editor of the Huffington Post. So these women are important in the media. The article in the New York Times covered a conference co-hosted by Huffington and Brzezinski, especially for women, entitled The Third Metric. Redefining Success Beyond Money and Power. The speakers included Valerie Jarrett, who's an advisor to President Obama, Candace Bergen, the actress, anchorwoman Katie Couric, and Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill. And these women have in common that they have acquired all the power and all the money they could need. They also have in common that they are not satisfied with what they've achieved, and they have a desire for more. The title of the conference is The Third Metric because they have found that the first two metrics of money and power have not brought satisfaction. To quote from the New York Times article, the overarching thesis of the conference is that it is time to rethink common wisdom of how to achieve success. Sleep four hours a night, work 20 hours a day, rarely see your family, and never admit the need for downtime. Ms. Huffington, Put it this way, the way we define success isn't working. More, bigger, better, we can't do that anymore. 
If we don't redefine success, the personal price we pay will get higher and higher, and as the data shows, the price is even higher for women than for men. Women have been seeking many of the same goals as men, hoping that money and influence will bring satisfaction. The conference is an acknowledgement that the traditional measures of success are not working. So, what makes a successful life? And this is where Enoch comes in. Enoch's story is interpreted for us in Hebrews 11, but his story comes from the early chapters of Genesis. So to get our orientation, let's go back to the, the, the very beginning and we'll walk through several chapters quickly. So in the first several chapters, God created the world and our first parents. Our first parents rebelled against God and God cast them out of the garden. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And in a fit of rage, Cain killed Abel. So we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 4 and 5 with the story of Cain. Now, we're going to read this morning a sort of family tree. Many think, people think that these genealogies in chapters 4 and 5 in Genesis are among the least interesting sections of the Bible, but I think there's a lot here for us. So let's read together. So here's what the scripture says. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamish. And Lamish took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Lamish said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamish, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamish's is seventy-sevenfold. So several things to note about this passage. First, there is a man named Enoch here, but he's not our Enoch. Our Enoch is still to come. We also see a number of generations of fathers and their offspring pretty much like this, that takes us through seven generations. The person we learn most about is Lamish, and he will be a focus for us momentarily. Then in Genesis chapters 4 and 5, we continue with another line of the family. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So as we open up this second line of the family, we read that after Cain killed Abel, Adam and Eve had another child named Seth. And we see that beginning with Seth, some began to call on the name of the Lord. Then we read, when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enish 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enish had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enish lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enish were 905 years, and he died. There's a pattern here, and it continued through Kenan and Mahalalel, 
and through Jared. I'm sure you can pick up the pattern. It's almost like a mathematical formula. And the family tree for six generations looks like this. People are born, they live, they have children, they live longer, and they die. We can note a couple things about this passage. First of all, how should we think about the long lives that are recorded for these men? As I did my preparation, I was puzzled. So I have developed a short summary handout, a page front and back. It's available from Peggy Dimitri right here at the table, the sound table, and I'm sure that there will be an immediate rush after the service <laughs> to know about this. For some of you, it may be important to know about these long lives. The second thing to note is that we hear one phrase over and over, and that is, and he died, and he died, and he died. That is, until we come to Enoch. This is what we read about Enoch. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So the writer is telling us something. He says, here is a man who is truly different. This man is unlike anyone before him, both in the way that he lived and in the way his life ended. Here is a man who is completely unique. So now we have the story of Enoch. But we need to back up and we need to talk about context because the context lends meaning to the story. So we have the line of Cain. And after the death of Abel, we have the line of Seth. Now, it is not an accident that these two lines are put together back to back, contrasting Cain's line with Seth's line. They are intended to contrast the two directions of humankind. Our first parents were made in God's image, and then they radically fell. And in the two lines, we see the outworking of the natures of our first parents. So one line represents what it means to be separated from God, and the other line represents what it means to draw close to God. On the one hand, we have the line of Cain. And as we read the account of Cain's descendants, we should notice something that is missing. After all, we're reading the Bible. And there is no mention in connection with Cain's line that God is anywhere present. On the other hand, we have the line of Seth. And we see that at the time of Seth, some began to call on the name of the Lord. As each line continues, we come to the seventh generation. And we have Lamish on one hand and Enoch on the other. Again, it is no accident that these men are the seventh generation and that their lives are in stark contrast. So first of all, in the Bible, the number seven is frequently associated with completion or fulfillment. Right? This makes sense. You know this. How many days were there in the creation? Seven days it took God to create the cosmos. In the book of Revelation, as this present age is coming to completion or to fulfillment, we see lots of sevens, right? Seven churches, seven lampstands, seven candlesticks, seven stars. And there are other examples of this in Scripture. So as we come to the seventh generation, we also see fulfillment completion. Each of these men is an archetype 
of a certain orientation. Lamish is the archetype of a person who lives without God. And Enoch is the archetype of the person who seeks God. So we're going to talk about Lamish and Enoch. Let's start with Lamish. Here is the moment that Lamish takes center stage for all of history. We read, And Lamish took two wives. Lamish said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamish, listen to what I say. So Lamish calls his wife and says, Listen to me. Hear my voice. And Lamish wants to talk about himself. He uses his own name or refers to himself seven times in these few verses. Lamish is his own publicist. And what does he want to publicize? I have killed a man, he says, for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Now, this is one of the earliest examples that anyone can find of poetry. And what does Lamish want to write about in his poetry? He wants to talk about killing a man who hurt him. Lamish shows himself as a violent man. And Lamish does not mourn the death of this other man. He celebrates it. He boasts about it. Lamish is not only his own publicist, he is his own protector. And then he says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamish's is seventy-sevenfold. Lamish knows the story of Cain. Lamish claims to be tougher and meaner than Cain. But if Cain was judged by God for what he did, and if Lamish really thinks of himself as the rougher character, shouldn't Lamish be afraid of God's judgment? But Lamish expresses no fear of God. Lamish is confident that he alone is his own judge. This is the consequence of a life lived for its own fulfillment, where God and godly values are rejected. In these few verses, we see the picture of a person who is about as unpleasant as he could be. How would you like to live with this man? The person who lives for himself, only concerned for himself, has no one to rule over him. This person is confident that he can be and he should be his own publicist, his own protector, and his own judge. Now let's read about Enoch. The facts about Enoch are very spare. We are told that Enoch was the father of Methuselah and other sons and daughters. We are told twice that Enoch walked with God. And we are told that this was a walk of 300 years. This was no casual stroll. This was the walk of a lifetime. Then one day we read that Enoch was not, for God took him. There are three other people in the Bible who are said to have walked with God, Noah and Abraham and Zacharias. There was one other person in the Bible who had this experience at the end of earthly life, and that was Elijah. Unique to Elijah and Enoch is that they were taken by God without passing through death. So Enoch is in rare company. Sometimes there are two completely different and competing visions of the nature of life. In the early 1500s, the astronomer Copernicus, Nicholas Copernicus, wrote a manuscript that contained a startling idea. 
I know you all know what the idea was, right? Everyone knows that Nicholas Copernicus developed the idea that it was the sun and not the earth that was at the center of the cosmos. Until Copernicus, the standard conception of the cosmos was that the earth is at the center and the planets revolve around the earth. A Greek astronomer named Ptolemy expressed this view about 150 AD and it was commonly accepted for more than a thousand years. But Copernicus thought that it's the sun that's at the center and not the earth. Copernicus developed his idea in 1512 but he thought that his ideas were so radical that they would not be accepted. So Copernicus did not have his ideas published and circulated until 30 years later. In fact, it was in 1543, which was the year of the death of Copernicus. And as Copernicus expected, his theory was opposed by nearly everyone. By 1600, 80 years after Copernicus first wrote his theory, there were probably 10 people in the whole earth who accepted his theory. In fact, Copernican theory was not widely accepted until more than a century after Copernicus developed his model. So a question. Why do you think that the Copernican theory took a century to take hold? Well, there were some problems with the math that had to be worked out. But my own view is that the main difficulty with the Copernican theory is that we want to consider ourselves the center of the universe and we resist being moved out of the middle. Most people have a cosmology that looks a lot like the cosmology of Ptolemy. Here it is. I am in the middle. And I have around me a spouse, a family, possessions, my influence. They're all there to serve me to accomplish my purposes. There is room for a God in this conception, but what is God there to do? God exists to bless me, to make me happy, to make me prosperous, to give me a well-balanced life. Of course, that is not the way things are. I am not the center of the universe. The universe was not created for my purposes. God is at the center. He's the creator, he's the sustainer, he made me, and I was made to be in relationship with God. I applaud the third metric conference. There is a recognition that money and influence are not enough to grant a satisfactory life. But most people are not radical enough in seeking satisfaction. We tend to search for our own third metric. That is, we tend to look around the, out, the things that are on the outside of the ring and we, see, we say we need to have more of this and less of this and if I just had the things around me in right balance, I'd be happy, I would be satisfied. But the problem is that we really need to change out who's in the middle of the ring. And we can see this in the account of Lamish and Enoch. The writer of Hebrews tells us what we need to know about satisfaction in the life of Enoch. In two verses, the writer answers four important questions about faith. So here are the four questions. First of all, what does a person of faith believe? Secondly, what is the nature of the life of faith? Third, what is the result of the life of faith? 
And finally, what is the ultimate end of the life of faith? The answers to these questions should be of interest to us because they describe a life radically more satisfying than what passes for, for a satisfying life among most Americans. So we will look at these questions and we'll work our way from the bottom of the Hebrews passage to the top. So first, what does faith believe? So we must believe two things. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So putting this in slightly different terms, we must believe that God is real and that he is a rewarder. These two great statements are the starting point for everything that follows. So first, we must believe that God is real. God exists absolutely. He did not ever come into being. He has always been. He will never go out of being. He will always be. He is the great I am. He is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. There is no shadow of turning with God. He can be counted on when nothing else in the world is trustworthy. This is his character. God is real. Secondly, we must believe that God is a rewarder. He rewards those who seek him. God knows what is best for us when we do not know what is best for ourselves. He overflows with goodness and love. He is for us. He is able to accomplish everything that is best for us because he is all-powerful. There is no one and nothing that can stay God's hand. When we look at the promises of Scripture, we should be amazed. Our sins are forgiven, Ephesians 1.7. We have abundant life, John 10.10. We are adopted as God's children, Romans 8.23. We are new creatures, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We have the work of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.19. We have his protection in difficult times, Romans 8.28. We have eternal life, John 6, 47. C.S. Lewis says this about the nature of rewards. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. In contrast, a life apart from God is ultimately self-destructive. Cornelius Plantinga says that sin is like pulling the plug on your own resuscitator. Of course, Sin damages our relationship with God. Sin damages our relationship with others. That's obvious. But sin also corrupts and kills its practitioner. Proud people cannot learn anything because they already know it all. Liars and cheats forfeit the trust of their neighbors and cut themselves off from others. Envy traps and torments the envier, turning her life into a hell of resentment. The promiscuous person coarsens himself and loses the potential for real intimacy. We were made by God to be in relationship with him, and life apart from God is self-destructive. So we must believe that God is real and he is a rewarder. 
But there's more here than just what we believe. What is the nature of the life of faith? We read, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. We should draw near to God. If we're convicted that God is real and a rewarder, where else would we want to be but close to God? I have a friend I walk with every Saturday. I'm not sure when we started, but Saturday morning walks with Scott Holly started more than 20 years ago. Jeff Peters used to be our third until he moved, and back when we were callow youth with supple bodies, we used to run. But now we are old guys, and all we can do is walk. Scott and I walk no matter what the weather, no matter how busy we are, the only thing that stops us is when one of us is out of town. Now, we are two old guys who know each other very well. And I suppose it gets better with age in a certain respect because I've forgotten most of Scott's stories and I just have to hear them week after week, so we continue. <laughs> only my immediate family knows me better than Scott. A long walk means three things, time and talk and trust. If you want to know someone well and be known, those three things are required. And those three things are necessary in a relationship with God. So first of all, time. I need time in the Bible. I need to hear God's word to me. I need to know what he has to say to me. It also means talk with God, which is talk that is honest and without pretense, asking for forgiveness regularly. And third, it means learning to trust God as he provides for me and for my needs over the years. This is where Enoch is such a great figure for us because he is the picture of consistency and endurance. We are so easily distracted. We need consistency in drawing close to God. So what is the result of faith? We read this. Before he was taken, Enoch was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please him. When Francis Schaeffer wrote of Enoch and Lamish, he titled the chapter The Two Humanities, and he was right to do so. One part of humanity represented by Enoch and including all those who have faith pleases God. Another part of humanity represented by Lamish turned towards self-satisfaction cannot please God without turning to faith. This statement it is impossible to please him without faith, is so strong. But the Bible is one long invitation to faith in God. Think about the great stories of the Bible. Abraham did not know God, but was called upon by God to get up and move from his home to a new land. Ruth, the woman from Moab, trusted the God of her friend Naomi, who was the God of Israel. David, the shepherd, went through long struggles in faith that he would one day, as promised by God, be king of Israel. Matthew was called upon to give up collecting taxes and follow Jesus. The Samaritan woman met the Messiah at the well, and he gave her living water. Is it possible for inadequate and sinful people to please God? By faith, all kinds of people can please God. And finally, what is the ultimate end of faith? A nearness to God that endures even beyond death. We read, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found 
because God had taken him. There is quite a contrast in the ends of Lamish and Enoch. In our last glimpse of Lamish, he is blustering, waxing poetic about his toughness. But he and his line are headed down a deadly path. It took several more generations, but God decided he should start over. And the line of Lamish was swept away in Noah's flood. There's a very different legacy for Enoch. We can turn to another genealogy. This time, it's the genealogy of Christ in Luke chapter 3. And we read that among the forebears of Christ was, of course, our man Enoch. It's by the work of Christ that God establishes all that we have been discussing. So it is by the work of Christ that our sins are forgiven. It is by the work of Christ that our relationship with God is reconciled. It is by the work of Christ that we are adopted as God's children. It's by the work of Christ that we have eternal life. Of course, God knew from all eternity that Enoch would be the forebearer of the one who made Enoch's relationship with God possible. And then finally, Enoch was taken up by God. And so Enoch foreshadows eternal life with God that is available for all of those who have a faith like Enoch's. I like a very short story about a little girl who was asked by her mother what she had learned in Sunday school. All about Enoch, the little girl said. What about Enoch, her mother asked. He used to take walks with God. One day God said, we're closer to my place than yours. Why don't you come home with me? <laughs> Was Enoch satisfied with God? I would think that a walk of 300 years proves Enoch's satisfaction. What is it that makes a satisfying life? Well, Enoch lives a life that satisfies. He has a conviction that God is real and is a rewarder. He draws close to God. He pleases God. And then one day he goes home with God. May it be so with us. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess to you this morning that we have too often put ourselves in the middle of the cosmos and that we seek satisfaction in all the things around us. Help us to find our satisfaction in you alone. Help us to know that you are real, you are a rewarder, and to help us to draw close to you. And we pray in your name. Amen. This morning we had the opportunity to affirm what we have heard in our singing. So first we are going to affirm that God should be the center of the cosmos in How Great Thou Art. And then let's ask God to guide our every step as we walk with Him.